Awesome. Good to hear. <laughs> I hope everyone's doing well and that today finds you well. Uh, as Pastor Page mentioned, we're continuing in our series, Reno Time Foundations for Living. And this is actually the last uh, talk in this series of uh, sermons that we're kind of have been going through. And tonight we look at the topic of pride and humility. And so I'm excited to be up here um, and be able to share the word with us tonight. And uh, we're going to look at these two topics that really kind of run together as really polar opposites, right? And uh, when you see one, uh, you don't necessarily always see the other. And so let me start by saying this. Pride is ugly. And it's hard to see. It's impossible to see, actually, in the mirror. It's harmful to our lives, and what's even more scary about it is that it's even more difficult to see in our lives. Welcome to church, okay? We'll start with that, okay? But pride is ugly, not a good thing, not something necessarily that we want to be known for. C.S. Lewis, in his good work, Mere Christianity, said this. He said, uncharity, anger, greed, drunkenness are mere flea bites, in comparison, pride leads to every other vice. Pride leads to every other vice. And so whenever you see something, you see sin at work, you see a sin happening in life, there's a good chance that pride is at the root of why that has begun. Lewis suggests that at the root of every vice is the sin of pride, that our pride can drive us away from God. Our pride can make us think that we know better, even better than what God knows for us, and that we're smarter, or that we're somehow in control of everything. And our pride can lead us into things that brings harm to our lives, it brings harm to our relationships, and probably, most importantly, it brings harm to our relationship with God. And that's why we have to be on guard for it. You see, let me illustrate this a little bit. Pastor Louie last week talked about social media, and uh, I don't think it's a stretch by any means to suggest that we live in times where people like to promote themselves, right? Um, where we like to show off our stuff or show off our daily activities. This is anything from something we bought to where we went that day uh, to what we ate and uh, just numerous kinds of things that we show. And... Um, we live in what I would call selfie times. How many of you have ever taken a selfie before? Anyone? Okay. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, good chance you're lying. Okay. But we live in selfie times. You see, I did some Googling on this this past week, and Google actually says this. Google says that 90 million selfies are taken each day. 90 million. And if you live with young people, you're probably like, that seems a bit low, right? But uh, 90 million selfies taken every day. And Google says last year alone, 24 billion selfies were uploaded to their site. These are stats from a couple of years ago. So I'm, I, I'd be interested to see those exact numbers today. But we are constantly, we live in a society where we constantly take pictures of ourselves, which is actually a fairly new phenomenon when you think about it. Um, 25, 30 years ago, you would often take pictures of your family, or you would take pictures of beautiful landscape, or you, you would take pictures with the intention of marking a moment with your, with your friends or your family, something you wanted a picture so you can go back to it and go back to that moment and think about how great that time was. 
And that's often why we took pictures, you know, Polaroids. Anyone remember the Polaroid camera where you could snap a pic and the thing would come out and then you have to like shake it a little bit before it actually gives you a terrible picture, anyone, right? Uh, th those actually made a comeback just a couple of years ago. Uh, they started to remake them again. And it's neat because that's what pictures used to be about. But lately, right, lately it's not quite the same. We often take pictures of ourselves, and we office fo often focus on showing people stuff about us. You see, a number of years ago, this idea of taking pictures of ourselves would have probably seemed a little ridiculous to an extent because we only took pictures of our family and our friends to capture the moments that we wanted to capture. But now we take pictures of ourselves all the time and there's whole different categories of selfies that you could look for. There's such thing as selfies gone wrong. Anyone ever heard of this before, right? Anyone ever seen these before? I'll give you an example of a selfie gone wrong, okay? You call in sick because you need to isolate. That makes sense in these times, right? And you forget when you're at the golf course on the 18th hole that you shouldn't be snapping pictures of yourself and posting them to Instagram, okay? Because there's a chance your boss or probably even more likely that coworker who actually acts nice to you but really wants your job, right? Might tell the boss that so-and-so is golfing today. And people have actually gotten into trouble with this kind of stuff, literally posting selfies that kind of get them into trouble in the workplace. Some criminals have actually taken pictures of their crimes and literally been arrested shortly after because they posted this stuff to social media thinking that it wouldn't have any consequences for them. There are literally people, I think in 2017, it was 20, it, it was, I think it was 20 people, but there were 24, and there are literally people who have died trying to take the perfect selfie. Look it up. And so there are all kinds of problems, I think, that occur when we point the camera to ourselves, when we start making ourselves simply what we focus on, problems such as what I just mentioned, but, but maybe even more important, what about the problems in our own hearts and in how we see ourselves? And does all of this affect how we see one another? Those are things we need to ask ourselves. I started with social media because Pastor Louie, I thought, did a fantastic job talking about it last week. But we are people who focus on ourselves. We are living among the generation that we, in some ways we live for likes on our social media page, but we long for love, don't we? In relationships with one another and with knowing people. You see, Instagram this past winter, one of the social media sites um, did this little campaign where they removed the likes from the Instagram accounts. And when the CEO, um, Adam Masseri, was asked about why they were doing this, he said it was to depressurize Instagram for young people. He seemed to suggest that removing likes is all about making Instagram a better and safer place. It's about young people, he said. The idea is to try to depressurize Instagram, make it less of a competition and give people more space to focus on connecting with the people that they love and with the things that inspire them. It was an experiment that they tried. Now, I think they're back to likes again, or you can choose to have likes visible back on your page again. But the idea behind this was simple. It was to remove likes would remove pressure for young people. It helps people post without feeling like their self-esteem or self-worth is at risk. You see, and I'm not convinced that this is simply a problem for teenagers or young people. 
But all of us who view social media at one time or another can probably relate with these feelings from time to time. And perhaps this affects adults just as much. You see, this desire to be seen, known, and liked is so great that it's been said that people can post something to social media, and if they don't see any reaction or interaction with that post within five minutes, then they're already starting to have feelings of inadequacy or, or shame or as though people, you know, don't like them. Self-esteem issues start to develop even that quickly. And so this isn't a rant against social media, okay, which I use at times. I'm not very good at it, but I use it at times, okay? And uh, in its proper place, I think it can, we can definitely appreciate it. But it is good to ask questions about the effect of social media on how we see ourselves and on how we see other people. And so what do the scriptures have to say about where we focus our attention? Do the scriptures have anything to say about being self-focused? and this desire to be known. You see, if pride is something to be avoided in the scriptures, then it's op opposite, humility, is actually something that we should be pursuing. As Christians, we should pursue humility. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, said this. He said, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is merely thinking of yourself less. You see, humility isn't about denying your accomplishments. Humility is not about, you know, not being able to take a compliment from somebody else. But humility is to recognize that not everything in life is about me. Not everything's about you. And so let's look at a story in the Gospel of Luke that I think illustrates this perfectly for us tonight. Luke chapter 18 and verses 9 to 14. Let's read. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so here in this story, we have two men in the temple. We have a Pharisee and we have a tax collector a well-known and respected religious teacher of the time, and the other was a man, the tax collector was a man who was seen as a traitor, and really, um, more than anything, just dishonest to society. And just in their prayers, we see two postures revealed, don't we? You see, the Pharisees taking time to brag about all of his works and all of his accomplishments and what he's done, and he's thankful that he's not like other people. And he names other people that he's glad he's not like. Then he even points to the tax collector when he says that. 
You see, he, he, he's bragging about what he's done and his attitude, right? Um, it, 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 it shows us how confident he is in himself. He's, he's smug, he's arrogant, if I could say it like that. And not only that, but he tramples over other people to show how good he is. And then we have this tax collector, known as a traitor to his people. He wasn't well-liked in society. Nobody reading this story would have expected him to be the good guy, okay? Everyone would have expected that the Pharisee would know how to pray and would know how to handle this. But this tax collector, we don't see an attitude of arrogance, do we? We don't even see confidence here. But his posture shows us that he won't even look up to heaven, but just pleads for mercy, knowing that he's a sinner. And so when it comes to sin, there appears to be two categories, okay? People who think that they're righteous and good, and people who know that they're sinners and that they've missed the mark. There's two ways we can go about this. We can believe in ourselves, we can believe in our goodness, we can believe in the things we contribute, or we can recognize that we've missed the mark and that we are sinners. You see, we see that the way these two men, the way that they approach God really said a lot about the condition of their hearts and how they viewed themselves even in the presence of a holy God, which is what prayer is, right? It's to be with him. And one was very proud of all that he'd done, and he felt the need to gloat about it, while the other recognized that he really had nothing to offer, and he simply offered a plea for mercy. And in many ways, their prayers read them, don't they? Their prayers kind of read their hearts, and it revealed that the best way that we can approach God, this story reveals to us, the best way that we can approach God is in an attitude of humility, knowing how much we need him knowing how much we've missed the mark, right? Not to trust in ourselves. You see, we need Jesus. We need his grace. We need his mercy. We need it just as much as anyone else needs it. And we dare not get to that place where we think that we're way up here and that we're thankful that we're not like him or her, right? How many of you know we need his mercy today, amen? Amen. And Jesus makes this declaration that he, basically what he's saying, basically what we see here is that Jesus can work with people like this who recognize they need mercy. He can work with honesty. He looks fondly upon humility, but it's pride and looking down on others and believing in our own hype and in our own abilities. That is what hinders us. That's what's going to keep us far from God. That's what this story communicates. And we aren't loved by Jesus because of what we do, but rather in spite of it, all he asks is that we're honest, humble, and genuine with him. And it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. In fact, I would go as far as to say that it's a God thing, that Jesus sees our sin more clearly than anyone else ever could, and he loves us more than anyone else ever could. He sees our wrongs. He sees everything. He knows our hearts better than we do. And so we dare not approach him, um, not approach our life in an attitude of pride, but we need to learn humility. You see, the truth is, is that pride will hurt your soul. And what's scary about pride is that it's actually very difficult for us to see. 
You can't see it by simply looking into a mirror. You can do all sorts of things to cover up your life and to make it appear like it's perfect on the outside, yet each of us knows really what's happening inwardly. And it requires honesty. It requires us to examine our hearts, allowing God to do this work in us. And so I ask the question, is all pride wrong? Is all pride sinful? Well, not necessarily, okay? And let me tell you what's okay. It's okay to be proud of your kid who succeeds at something, okay? There's probably limits on that too, okay? But it's okay to be proud of your kid who succeeds at something. It's okay to be confident in the gifts and talents that God's given you. Nothing wrong with that. It's okay to celebrate an accomplishment that you've completed. If you graduated this year, congratulations, okay? And celebrate that and love it. Those kind of things are okay, but where pride goes wrong is this. Sinful pride is an elevation of ourselves above others and a denial that we need God. Sinful pride is an elevation of ourselves above others and a denial that we need God. And so let's look at a few of the ways that I think pride can show itself, okay? Are you okay if I do that tonight? Let me show four ways that I think pride can show itself. Number one, the first way that I think pride can show itself is the I'm better than you pride. How many of you know this one? Anyone? right? We learn this at a young age, I think, sometimes. Even just in team sports, like, you know, well, I'm doing this better, or I got this better. And it's easy to develop that kind of mindset. Think about the story we just read in scripture. The Pharisee looked down at the tax collector and said before God, thank God I'm not like you. Thank God that I'm not like you or that I'm not like these people. You see, what's interesting is that the Pharisee was oblivious to the pride that was in his heart. And pride's destructive, and it's not easy to see. It's not easy to detect. You see, have you ever thought this before? Have you ever passed by people on your drive and thought to yourself, you know, thank God I'm not like that? Anyone? Don't answer out loud. Have you ever read something in the newspaper, read about something somebody did or someone's opinion, someone's political opinion maybe, and you had this smug attitude come over you, oh, thank goodness I'm not like that, I'm better than that. Have you ever thought about a coworker, perhaps who clearly wears their shortcomings on their sleeves and were happy that you weren't like them? Stuff like that ever cross your mind? You see, it's interesting in the media, you know, when someone has a moral failing, when someone does something, you know, often we see the, the news and media roast these people. And I, I think sometimes as people, we like that because the attention, if it's all on them, then it can't be on us, right? If the attention's all on them, then it takes the attention off of us. And so we just pile it on. And we just continue, oh gosh, how could they do such a thing? How could he do that? How could she do that? But that kind of pride, that kind of I'm better than you, that kind of at least I'm not like one of them, that pride hurts us. That hurts our hearts. And that hinders our ability in some way to live for Jesus. You see, most of us never say the words, I'm better than you. <laughs> you know, maybe when you're younger, right? But this kind of pride often manifests itself, sometimes even as spiritual pride, as like a critical spirit, right? And we start to feel holier than thou. And, you know, if I can say it like that, and we, we start to say things like this, well, I would never watch that movie, right? 
Oh, I can't believe you listened to that song. Oh, my goodness gracious, right? Oh, I cannot believe you think about voting for him or doing that. You see, pride starts to think, if only people could work as hard as me or be as diligent as me or be as good-hearted as me, then this world would be a better place. That's what pride does. That's where pride takes us. You see, maybe it's current events. Maybe you hear about something in the news or in the tabloids and you start, you start to think, gosh, everyone's so stupid in this world. I'm clearly the only one who's informed, right? Pride. And this pride manifests itself in how we view and probably more importantly in how we treat other people. And that's what makes it so dangerous. Author Rob Bell, in a book he wrote, probably 15, 20 years ago, the book was called Sex God, and uh, he tells a story of when he was a pastor. And he tells a story of a woman who was a prostitute who came into his office that day and needed to talk to a pastor. And he talks about sitting there, and while initially he felt that, he, you know, he was the good, wise pastor who was hopefully going to make a difference that day, and he felt like he was somebody who could help her. Maybe he could help change her life. Maybe he could have some sort of influence. And he really felt really high and mighty in his position as he was sitting in the pastor chair and as she was sitting across from him. And then suddenly, as he was meeting with her, he says in the book, he was hit with this realization that she could be him and he could be her. That she could be him and he could be her. You see, he was born into a fortunate situation. He was born into a good family. He was given opportunities to receive certain types of education. He was born into a good neighborhood. But if you trade a few things like that, okay, such as where they were born, what opportunities they were given, what school they went to, where they lived, who their families were, she could be him and he could be her, and he was hit with that realization, and it humbled him. It humbled him. You see, Rob talks about being humbled and hit with the realization that he could be the one sitting in that chair, and perhaps she could be sitting in the pastor chair if just a few of those circumstances were changed. Maybe their situations could be different. And it humbled him. And it helped him to realize not to look down on others, not to look down on someone else, to look down on someone else thinking you're here and they're here is to miss the mark. The I'm better than you pride isn't what scripture calls us to, amen? To see pride in our lives, it's going to require us to be vulnerable. It's going to require some transparency. Number two, here's a second type of pride, and I'm going to just put myself out here, okay? This, this is where I struggle sometimes. This is the I can take care of it myself pride. This is the I got this pride, okay? Look at your neighbor and say, I got this, okay? Okay, you don't have to, but you know, I thought it'd be fun to say that. But this is the I got this pride. It's a pride in yourself. Maybe you love to give to others and you're that kind of person who can give and give and give and look out for people, but it's really hard for you to ask for help. Anyone? Maybe you've been dealing with the same problems, the same obstacles, the same um, issues in your life and over the years, and you can't overcome it because you are too 
prideful to ask for help. You see, this kind of pride's dangerous because it can really look as, as if like you have it together, can't it? Well, that guy takes care of his own stuff. Well, I take care of my own problems. I don't bother people. I don't put the burden on everyone else. I do my own thing. You see, you could really holy up this kind of pride, couldn't you, if you wanted to? I got this. I could take care of this. You see, this is me sometimes, and I recognize it, and I've gotten better, and that's all thanks to my wife, actually, who challenges me in a loving way to not think that I have to carry everything alone or do everything myself, but that asking for help, that reaching out to others is actually a good thing. And there's a pride that comes with thinking, we got this and we can take care of our business on our own. You see, it may even seem admirable sometimes in society. But at its root, once again, is pride. It's pride. You see, perhaps one of the biggest indicators of this type of I can handle it or I got this pride is the fact that you rarely pray. Think about that. Think about that. If you rarely pray, if you rarely bring things to God, when you don't pray faithfully, your lack of prayers is you declaring in some way that you don't need his help. That you don't need God in this situation. I can handle this. I got this. That's, I, think, I think our world encourages us in some ways to live that way, but at its root is pride. And we see this right from the beginning of Scripture in Adam and Eve. We don't have to look far to get this example in Genesis chapter 3 and verses 6 to 8. And they were told, don't eat the fruit from that tree. And the serpent said to them, you won't die. Of course not. You'll be like God. So let's take it up. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized that they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. You see, she wanted to be like God. There was this thought, I can do this. I can take care of my own. If I could be like that, I could do everything. I can make everything happen. And see, the cycle of pride's kind of like that. You feel like you can handle it. I got this. But then it leads to sin. And then once you sin, it leads to, like them, shame. And because of that shame, you're embarrassed and you don't want anyone to know about it. So what do you do? Out of shame and pride, you start to cover it up. And perhaps we've been doing this ever since the garden. And you get stuck in this cycle where pride leads you to sin and sin leads you to shame. And out of shame, you cover it up. And why do we cover it up? Because we want to pretend to the rest of the world around us that we're strong enough. I got this. Pretend we can handle it. But the Bible says Adam and Eve, when they ate the fruit, they realized they were naked and they were ashamed. So they took leaves and they covered their shame. And I think we still do this with our lives. I think sometimes there's a tendency and a temptation to think that we can handle this. And that shame that you feel and that you don't know how to handle, so you just cover it up. And you just cover it up somehow. Try to look good on the outside. It appears as if you have it all together. 
when perhaps an act of humility would be to reach out to someone and ask them for their help and ask them to help you. You see, if this is your type of pride, you must humble yourself and you must reach out to others for help. It's what God gave us each other for. You see, if you struggled with any type of issues or addictions, you you need to ask for help. If, If your marriage is in trouble, ask for help. If your spiritual walk with Christ is struggling, reach out to somebody. Humble yourself and God will lift you up. You see, Peter said it like this in 1 Peter 5.5. He said, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that that he may lift you up in due time. You see, if anyone knew this type of, I got this, I can handle this pride, it was Peter. You see, here's the man who pleaded with Jesus, I'm never going to deny you, not going to happen. Won't do it. I got this, I'm with you. And he pleaded with them, right? And wouldn't you know what happens? He denies him three times. And he feels shame. And he's humbled. And yet God didn't write him off. God didn't just ignore him. God didn't just say, well, you had your chance. You were in my crew before. Now just take a seat, right? No, but Jesus restored him, amen? And Peter can write these words, I think, with such integrity for us as one who was humbled, who who knew humility and how Jesus treated him and restored him, and as one who was lifted back up on his feet by Jesus himself. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. You see, it starts sometimes, I think, with admitting a weakness or admitting a sin or being vulnerable or refusing, I'm not going to live in shame anymore. I'm not just going to be content to cover this up and act like I have it all together. But bring yourself to God. Bring yourself to a, a friend. Talk to your spouse. Maybe, maybe talk to a counselor, right? But I got this. This idea of self-sufficiency, it's root in itself. It could look admirable on the outside. But deep down within, there's a root of pride there. Are you with me? Number three. This other type of pride is when our greatest concern is to make ourselves known. And we talked about this a little bit at the beginning of the talk tonight. You see, I I think of the story of John the Baptist whenever I think about this, um, who came to prepare the way for Jesus. And he was given a task to do. And he knew what his task to do was. And John's friends in John chapter 3, I'm not going to read the scripture quite yet, but you can throw it up there. But his friends come to him alarmed because there's this guy named Jesus over there who's baptizing way more people than you, John. And the crowds are following him, and we're losing ground here. Our numbers are slipping. You know, you used to be the baptism guy, and then this Jesus came into the picture, and everyone's going over to him for baptism. And it's as if they say to him, you know what, John, he's passing you. You're losing followers. You're not popular anymore. You know, you're not getting as many mentions from people here. And to this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater 
I must become less. The one who comes from heaven is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. You see, everything good comes from my heavenly father. And John the Baptist understood this. He got this. The goal of his life wasn't to make himself known, wasn't to make himself famous, wasn't so that everyone would see him in this picture, you see? Everything in, in, in life is from God, and we can trust him, John the Baptist declared. All my knownness, all my platform is simply a gift to glorify him. And for John the Baptist, he wasn't going to make this about himself. You see, for him, it's as if he says, my being known is actually to be used to make him known. He must become greater. I must become less. And John teaches us that life for those who follow Jesus isn't simply about building our platforms, isn't simply about building up our reputations, but we're to be about him and his glory and whatever it is that he has us to do. It's as if John declares to us that my desire to be known, you know what, this doesn't own me. This has no hold on me. This isn't going to control how I act. This isn't going to control how I react to everyone saying I'm losing followers and that he's baptizing everyone. You know what? My desire to be known doesn't own me. I'm not owned by my desire, but I'm only known to make him known. And for Christians, our platforms where we're known are simply a means to make him known. Amen? Because it's not about me. It's not about you. It's simply not about us all the time. And embracing humility is to remember who your gift, who your talent, who your influence, who that actually is from. How you got that to begin with. And in that, you remember who it's actually for. Pride and humility. It's difficult, right? Here's the, here's the last type of pride that I want to talk about tonight. You know that you've fallen into pride when you keep thinking to yourself, other people need to hear this, okay? When you keep thinking to yourself, oh, so-and-so definitely needs to hear this. You see, prideful people take everything personally. <laughs> it's tough for them to be around people who disagree with them or who see things differently than them. Which is funny because Jesus, who was always right, okay? Never had a wrong opinion, okay? Perfect. Always right. Who legit was always right in every one of his beliefs would hang out with people who disagree with him all the time. He'd always hang out with In fact, he'd make time for them. In fact, he would reach out to them. You see, prideful people sometimes think that their feelings are the most reasonable. And it's not okay for people in my life to disagree with how I think or how I feel or how I act. You see, you, you, you know you live out of pride when, when, when your desire is always the most important one. Those words hurt. You see, we're not getting upset because other people's needs aren't met. But pride gets upset when my needs aren't met. See, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul writing from jail here, he shouldn't even be there, but he is at the moment. He says this, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, 
but each of you to the interests of others. And so prideful people often are the type of people who are looking to themselves and, 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 and if they're looking to someone else, it's not necessarily for the right reason all the time, right? Prideful people, it's sometimes easiest for th- to think that everyone around us needs to change. And we're, we get blind to our own lives. You know, if this person just did this differently, you know, oh, they could have avoided all that, as, as if we've never made a mistake. As if we've never needed some grace. And pride can lead us to live negatively. We can live critical instead of positive and loving like Jesus wants us to. You see, and prideful people often think this. They keep thinking everyone else needs to hear this. They keep thinking everyone else needs to hear this. Maybe even as you listen tonight to some of this, your mind is already thinking, man, I wish so-and-so could hear this right now. Man, I wish my husband could hear this. No, but you know, you, you know what I'm saying, right? Man, I wish they could hear this in this moment. You see, if you're thinking of other people right now, there's a good indication that you also need to hear this. And I'm going to out myself on this, okay? I was in Bible college um, in my second year. And uh, some of us second-year Bible college students, man, we think we know the Bible, right? We think we have a hold on truth. Ethan's laughing because he knows exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) But, you know, you get to this point where you think that you just have all this knowledge and you become critical of everything and you start to think, you know, it's my job to correct everyone and make everyone see something right. That's just my experience. Don't don't, don't worry. By year four, it all kind of comes back around and comes back to normal, okay? But we had a guest speaker, I remember, one time in our chapels for what was called Spiritual Emphasis Weekend. Anyone ever hear of Sam Farina before? Sam was with us, and he was a guest speaker with us. And uh, I remember, even in that moment, being critical of some of the things he was saying in his sermon, okay? And I was sitting there, and uh, he, he was just throwing stuff out there where I was like, eh, I don't know about that, right? But towards the end of his message, he did an altar call, and he gets up, after sitting down and saying, you know what, I need to say this because someone in here needs to hear this. And he says, some of you have become so cynical and critical that God can't even use you because you live with that spirit. Because you live so critically and cynically towards everyone else. And I remember as a college student in that moment thinking, yes, thank you, Sam. Thank you for saying that because so-and-so needs to hear it, right? And I was sitting there in my chair thinking about this guy who needs to hear it. And, oh, he's here. Perfect. He's here. He heard it, right? And uh, this person. And I I literally did this, okay? I was literally sitting in my mind going through a highlight reel thinking of who probably needed to hear this. Hopefully she got it, right? I'm going to see these people at the altar in a few minutes. And it was as clear as day. You know those times when when you feel God speak to you and you just know that God was talking to you? I heard him that morning saying, that isn't for them, Jordan. That is actually for you. And you need to hear that today. And oh, I thought, that was, I thought those words were going to suck more than they actually sounded. But there was actually some liberty in that for me. Because God revealed my arrogance. He revealed my pride. He revealed my own sin. He showed me how I had missed the mark, how I'd become cynical, how I'd become critical, Right? But the journey after that is healing, friends. The journey God takes you on that. If you can admit that, if you can see that, God will bring you, take you from your pride, and he'll show you how to live in humility. Amen? And it was as clear as day 
that you need to hear this, Jordan. You need to move on from that cynicism. You need to leave that critical attitude there. And pride, church, actually reduces us, okay? It diminishes us. It actually makes us smaller. It doesn't make us bigger. You see, pride diminishes our capacity to admit what we need to admit. Pride takes away our capacity to apologize for what we actually need to apologize for and to acknowledge sometimes what we actually need to acknowledge. Pride keeps you from saying what you need to say. You know, some of those people close to us, they just need a compliment from you. They just need some encouragement, and they just need you to ask for help, and they just need you to reach out. But pride keeps us from doing that. And it can mask itself as, I got this. When in fact, that's not what it is. Pride can keep us from hearing what needs to be heard. Pride diminishes our capacity to love, but also to receive love. This is why it's so destructive in our lives. And the tough part about pride is that it's often difficult to detect. Because you've got to be intentional about looking inwardly, amen? Got to be intentional about that. You see, pride, is so, and, and so an invitation to follow Jesus is actually an invitation to unfollow pride. Think about that for a second. An invitation to follow Jesus is actually an invitation to unfollow pride. You see, the very first starting point for following Jesus is starting with admitting your need. It's admitting that you've missed it. It's admitting that you're not, oh, thank you, God, I'm not like these people. It's admitting that, you know, you just, you just look down. You ask for mercy. There's nothing else to be said. You recognize that you've missed the mark. And so your starting point in following Jesus is recognizing that you're a sinner and that you need his help. An invitation to follow Jesus is actually an invitation to let go of pride and to embrace humility. You see, in Philippians chapter 2, writing from jail again, Paul says this. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. You see, Jesus, for our benefit, made himself nothing. And he took the nature of a servant, and he humbled himself all the way to the cross to model how we're to treat one another. You see, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus, it says. It starts that way. And what did God do? God exalted him. God lifted him up. And the scriptures say, in your relationships with each other, have that same kind of mindset, that we are not above anyone else, that we are not better than anyone else, that we don't always, quote, got this. Maybe an act of humility for, for someone today is just reaching out to someone you love for help or reaching out to someone you can trust. Saying sorry, asking for something, right? Admitting you can't do it on your own. You see, our greatest concern can't be to make ourselves known. It's got to be to make him known. 
And, and, and all of this is tricky because there's this thing in all of us, I think, that wants to be known. We want to be approved by people. I get it. But the more we feed it, the more that desire grows. And so I think we really have to be honest with ourselves. And when we ever start to think, well, so and so really, really, really needs to hear this right now, maybe it's at that moment we need to stop and come before God in the posture of the tax collector and allow God to speak to us and receive his mercy. And so here's some take-home questions to consider tonight. Have you perhaps ever noticed an attitude within you that says, thank goodness I'm not like one of those people? Honest. Think about that. Write that down. Have you ever noticed an attitude within yourself that thinks, oh my goodness, you know, I might do some bad things, but thank goodness I'm not like them or him or her? Have you ever carried too much pride and trust in your accomplishments or in your ability to accomplish? Is it hard for you to ask for help? I can relate with that. Is it, is it, is it, is it tough for you to, to, to bring something to someone else or to ask someone to join you on the journey, even this journey of faith? We need each other, church. This is a gift that God has given us to one another, amen? Have you noticed that you really do care far too much about your image and sometimes about what other people think about you? or how they will approve of you? Have you noticed that pride, focusing too much on ourselves and not on others, has actually affected your relationships? Church, the way of Jesus is the way of humility, amen? It's the way of humility. It's not about me, but it's all about him. Not simply about me, but serving and loving other people. He must become greater, I must become less. And so the way of following Jesus for us today is not the heart of the Pharisee who looks down at the tax collector next to him, who elevates himself above others, who puts far too much trust in his own ability and accomplishments, who thinks that he's above correction or error, but Jesus commends the heart of the tax collector, the guy nobody expected to be commended in this story. And maybe the best thing we can do, maybe the best thing we can do tonight is bring ourselves before God, humble ourselves, and simply ask him for mercy. Maybe that's the best thing we can do. Mercy and forgiveness of our sins, mercy that reveals to us areas in our lives that truly need to be nailed to the cross, Mercy that helps us to see ourselves with proper perspective. Mercy that allows us to reach out to one another. You see, recognizing that we bring nothing to the table on our own in this relationship. That we're sinners, covered by grace. And if we are to live this life properly, we need him. We need him so much, church. And we are called to treat others in light of how he has treated us. And so Reno time, Foundations for Living. This is the last series in this, sorry, the last message in this series. And there's two foundations we can build on, Jesus said. We could hear the words of Jesus and put them into practice, or we can hear the words of Jesus and ignore them. 
One builds a foundation on rock that when everything comes at it, will stand the test of time. And the other is like building on sand when we, when we hear his words and don't put them into practice. It's not foundation that lasts. It's foundation that easily sinks. And so may we take his word serious, church, and bring ourselves before him today, asking that he change our hearts, reveals areas of our lives, perhaps, that we need to hand over, that we've been too self-focused, maybe just giving us the ability to see what is so destructive and so difficult to detect, and that's pride. Would you stand with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you that you love each one of us, God, and that you can reveal to us, Lord God, all things. And so, Lord, as we worship tonight, as we come before you as people who need mercy, not in our accomplishments, not in our pride, not looking down on others, God, as we come before you, Lord God, recognizing that we bring nothing on our own, would you show us mercy tonight? Would you speak to our lives? Would you speak to our hearts, Jesus? Would you do the work in our hearts that only you can do? I trust you. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Ethan's going to lead us in the song of worship.